So Colossians 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Thank you very much, Caroline. Um, do, if you have a Bible there, please do uh, keep that open and uh, follow along. Make, us, make sure I say the right things. It's lovely to see everybody. Well, um, in recent years, we've, um, especially since uh, Mr. Trump decided to run for office, we've all kind of become terribly sensitive to this idea of false information. But um, I wonder how good you are at detecting its fal falsehoods in your everyday lives. I mean, do you find that you can filter them out okay and keep on, on a sort of the straight and narrow uh, biblical path? I mean, some, some deceits, I suppose, are easy to spot. The, you know, the uh, deceptions or bold lies of, of our politicians and newspaper headlines. Um, but then there's, there's the subtle ones that are rather more difficult, like when we're bombarded with the idea on, uh, in the media that we just have to have the perfect body, the perfect relationship and sex life, career, holiday, well, the perfect everything, really. And the advertisers pushing this would have us believe that it's all about achieving self-fulfillment and happiness. But of course what it's actually doing is just making us feel downright inadequate. What's required of us is, of course, to buy their product, forgetting that before we saw their deceitful drivel, we already had the perfectly con we were already perfectly content with what we had. Uh, you know, really, they're only selling nice-to-haves, not must-haves. It's, uh, it's pretense. Well, the Christians at Colossae, to whom Paul and Timothy write this letter in front of us, of course, were no different. They faced the same kind of unhelpful influences from their culture. Uh, with general fads and philosophies doing the rounds, um, and also, uh, you know, the normal political manipulations. However, they did also face uh, a threat from within their own ranks, from within the church, and this came in the shape of incomers or false teachers who, like the modern advertisers, told them that what they had received uh, so far was really rather inadequate and who promised them a much greater Christian experience. And the purity of the apostolic uh, teaching that had brought these Colossians to faith and to every blessing in Christ was becoming lost. The gospel was threatened 
alien notions were slipping in unnoticed, distorting and contaminating this gospel message with its ability both to nurture and proclaim Jesus Christ, both diminished. Well, it happens so easily, and it happens for us as much as it does for them. I mean, we all tend to uh, mix and filter Christian teaching, don't we, through our own personal class, social and political beliefs and biases, or compromise our faith with prevailing attitudes, say to something like uh, gender issues, which seems to be so much in the news. More seriously, we might even listen uncritically and carelessly to supposed Christian preachers on media like YouTube who are actually peddling heresy and a false gospel. And we might even share their videos on our, U- on our Bible Studies WhatsApp group. Now, it does happen. And even if you don't go that far, I think we're all guilty to one degree or another of this kind of thing. And you see, thinking straight is really hard when you're in the midst of all that babble going on in life. And we really need a clear-headed apostle, don't we, to come and help sort us out. Well, the Colossians, of course, had one in the Apostle Paul. Now, the founder of the church there, Epaphras, had reported to Paul about the church. And Paul, being in prison at the time, was unable to come and sort things out in person. So he and Timothy, who was probably with Paul at this time, supporting him in his incarceration, and who incidentally, neither of whom had ever visited Colossae, uh, decided to write this letter out of pastoral concern. You know, the Holy Spirit, you can imagine, convicting them and saying, look, you really must uh, write to this congregation. Now, as for Paul, of course, well, he was the apostle to the Gentiles anyway, personally appointed by Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was his responsibility. Uh, And Timothy was um, the leader of the church at Ephesus, effectively, you know, the big main church. So effectively, he was bishop of the region. And he also writes, I guess, having accepted some accountability for what was going on here too. Now we're going to look at uh, these opening verses of the, uh, of the book um, under the following headings. Firstly, the danger of who you listen to. Secondly, back to basics. Thirdly, the authentic marks of the Christian. Uh, then we'll look at the real deal. And finally, the online media vulnerability. Dreadful headlines, but it's all I could really think of at the time. Hopefully they'll make sense as we go along. So, the ever-present danger, who do we listen to? Now, the new incoming teachers to Colossae told the church there, you know, you guys have started really well, but you haven't yet got everything. You're missing the fullness of the, fullness of the Christian life. And, you know, if you want to progress, then what you need is exactly what we've got to offer. <coughs> In doing so, of course, they were implicitly criticising Paul and Timothy and Epaphras for shortchanging the church members. And they were cocking a snoot, weren't they, at Paul's apostolic authority, which actually, when you think about it, is actually direct criticism of Jesus himself. 
So the incomers were saying, don't listen to them, listen to us instead. And that's still very much a live issue in today's world. Solid evangelical churches can be targeted by other groups who bring with them an angle to sell, an offer of something better, something more interesting, enjoyable and more fulfilling. But their business, like the advertisers, is really a false promise for their gain, not ours. Now, I witnessed this happening in a church I visited uh, when I was working down in Cornwall over a couple of weeks, weekends. And I had a heartbreaking conversation with a couple from that church who accosted me in the Sainsbury's midweek, uh, who were in, in, in pieces over what was happening there. It was very, very sad. Um, even at St. Helens in London, which we think of as a bastion of evangelical strength, devotees of a London cult started coming to services and trying to recruit young, impressionable Christians in the mid-90s. They tried it on with me. Fortunately, the teaching I'd received both through Bernard here at Friday Group and in my St. Helens Group was sufficiently solid for me to repel the advance, but it still took me a couple of weeks or so to twig what was happening. It was subtle and it was very dangerous. Now, like I had been then, these, the church at Colossae was new, young, probably rather impressionable at the hands of the unscrupulous. The incoming false teachers were offering them a recipe that mixed in, in their culture what we now call Gnosticism, that basically undermined the divinity of Jesus. And they also brought elements of Jewish legalism that insisted on ritualistic observances uh, like the one of circumcision which Paul writes about elsewhere. No wonder Paul and Timothy felt it necessary to write this letter. So, next heading, back to basics. Paul's warning um, is that they should not allow themselves to succumb to these, uh, to these dodgy messages which risk them turning away from Jesus and the authentic gospel. And at the same time, he's encouraging the church to face up squarely to the reality of what's happening and be aware of it and to stick to the real Jesus. And Paul's fundamental strategy in the letter is really very simple. He takes the reader back to basics. Now, when I was starting out in music uh, more uh, decades ago than I care to remember, I remember disliking intensely practicing scales and arpeggios, and especially musical theory. But after many years, I now know when my uh, playing and musicality starts deteriorating, the best medicine really is exactly that, to go back to those basics. Um, and you can apply that principle, can't you, to really every field of activity, because it works. And it's why Paul uses, I think, that strategy here to strengthen these threatened Christians. And um, it, arguably he expresses that most clearly in chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, where he says this, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
But Paul uh, doesn't uh, waste time in getting down to, to the business of this idea, even in the formal greetings of the first two verses of the letter in, in, in our passage, where he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. First, Paul uh, reminds them that he has the full authority of Jesus with God's seal of approval. And God has put all Christian people under apostolic authority. The Bible carries their letters, their witness. We should see in what they say the command of Christ himself. As for the new teachers, well, they don't have the same credentials that Paul has. And this should, of course, immediately be a massive red light warning. Next, Paul talks to the, uh, of the Colossian Christians' dual citizenship. First and foremost, they are citizens of heaven, and only secondarily in, of Colossae a simple trading town that had really seen better days because somebody had been very naughty and moved the main trading route up through Laodicea instead. But the point to grasp is this. As a Christian, our identity is intrinsically bound up in the risen Christ. Like Abraham, we've now become sojourners, in other words, visitors to this world from heaven. It's the, you know, this is not a world that brings grace and peace, verse 2. Those are things that come from heaven, our true home to which we will be brought one day. Therefore, it's necessary we avoid letting human traditions and worldly principles infect our thinking. Instead, as Paul goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 2, Rather, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth. Now, um, note two in these first two verses that Paul thinks and regards the Colossians as genuine believers still, whatever the external and internal dangers besetting them. And so we'll uh, find out why in our uh, next heading which is uh, the authentic marks of the Christian, uh, verses 3 to 5. Having greeted them, Paul talks of his prayers of thankfulness for them in verse 3 to 8, and he starts his prayers by reassuring them of their status, that they are already fully blessed, signed up Christians, verses 3 to 5. They've got the fullness of Christ. They don't need anything more. And the way he does this is, to, is, is through his famous trio of Christian evidences, faith, hope, and love. Now Simon Medcroft of Danbury Mission says this, This characterization of faith, hope, and love is a typically Pauline way of describing a saved Christian. You simply cannot have these evidences unless the Holy Spirit has worked in your life to save you and bring these things alive. But each of these attributes, Paul uh, roots in a specific context. There's nothing mystical about them. Firstly, faith. Faith is faith in Christ. 
Faith in God isn't really good enough. Every person on this planet has some kind of God. They just spell it differently with letters that actually describe their own idols. Only the genuine Christian spells it C-H-R-I-S-T. It's faith in, as we sang earlier, Christ alone. Love is love for God's, for all God's people. And this is a, an evidence that's uh, easy for us to spot. I mean, look around us all at Christchurch. We're a pretty motley crew of people that differ from each other, aren't we? In all kinds of ways. From different backgrounds, with different views, tastes, mentalities. But we're supporting and caring, committed to one another's well-being. If we weren't bound by Christ, I think we'd probably be fairly unlikely to give each other the time of day. But because of Christ, we're friends. We share food together. We visit one another. We laugh and work together. We love one another. Hope. Hope is hope for heaven. The world around us, of course, is not our be-all and end-all as it is for others. Because we know there is still so much more to come to this wonderful journey of existence because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul emphasises this in verse 5, where it's not faith and love that cause us to hope in heaven, but the other way round. It's the Christian hope of heaven that keeps us faithful and living in the present. And it's having this heavenly perspective clear that strengthens the now and keeps us going. The totality of all that Christ promises is delivered in the future. Anyone who offers you delivery of those things now should be handled with extreme caution. Start asking questions. Well, the Colossians have these three qualities, says Paul. This is what an authentic Christian looks like, he says. Whatever dangers they're facing from the false teachers and the, the, the ideas of their uh, uh, cult worldly culture, they need not question the validity and sufficiency of their faith, despite what the incoming, uh, the attempts of the incoming false teachers to undermine it, uh, undermine it. And it's because they have these three uh, uh, attributes that Paul can be so genuinely thankful for them in verse 3. However, Paul's prayer also addresses the source of this authentic Christian status of theirs. And that brings us to our, the fourth heading, the real deal, verses 5 to 8. The reason that the Colossian Christians exhibit faith, hope and love is because they heard the gospel of truth, which is all about the grace of God, verses 5 and 6. The truth is Christ coming to earth to suffer and willingly die so that people like us can be forgiven, receive the Holy Spirit and the hope of eternal life that we don't deserve. That's the gospel which the reliable Epaphras brought to them. A genuine representative of Paul, the certified apostle of Jesus Christ. But Epaphras not brought the genuine full apostolic message, then the gospel would not have grown and survived at Colossae. Neither would it have borne fruit, as Paul describes it. 
This gospel of truth is the only way it will grow wherever it's planted. That's why Paul talks about its effect being worldwide, verse 6. Where it's not genuine, uh, uh, not the genuine word of truth, but a corruption like that of the incoming false teachers or a self-imposed corruption, it'll never grow to maturity, never bear real fruit, but instead it will wither and die as the way of things. And uh, a number of us have lived through this kind of new message that blossoms and then in a couple of years it's gone well I wonder if this uh, back to basics gospel looks good to you it's, uh, or does it feel perhaps a bit flat long after that first flush of an excitement of, uh, for Christ following our conversion we can become so used to the apostolic message that it loses its emotional impact perhaps for you we become vulnerable to attack by the flashy new message, the all-dynamic uh, uh, and shiny. We've seen this to some extent with American tele-evangelists on TV and online. All very impressive with their big budget productions, aren't they? The problem is, there's no heresy warnings flashed up on screen for us. YouTube and the like don't tell you whether the preacher's genuine, they don't provide his credentials. They don't tell you what's really going on in the person's life or in his organisation. So often the problems of which Paul warns in Colossians have struck and continue to strike. It did even at, at somewhere like Hillsong. The gospel somehow managed to get lost in the growth of worldly glitz and personality glorification at least for a while. A former Hillsong volunteer talking about their New York operation commented, let's face it, people were not coming there for sound doctrine, they're not coming there to be fed the word, they're not coming there to see the cool, they are coming there rather to see the cool charismatic pastor. Or perhaps even catch a glimpse of Justin Bieber who was an attendee and other celebrities. What's common to these destructive incoming influences is the offer of an emotional experience for the listener often. That elusive something more, something of heaven for the here and now. But if that's what's being offered, then it's most likely bogus. And if it's bogus, it's really only going to end up damaging you and those you share it with. So do we always look carefully at the messenger are they allowing themselves to be sucked into the world's vortex of fame and fortune? If so, that's a bad sign. Move on. Find something else. We have to be con constantly vigilant and on guard because it's always our own responsibility to do so. Not our pastors, not our home group leaders. Ours. There is particular cause to be careful in this online world. When you find a teacher or preacher that you don't actually know, don't listen or watch until you've thoroughly checked out the organisation or church the person belongs to, their affiliations, any news stories concerning them. If someone were to find Christchurch talk online, I kind of expect them to do the same due diligence on us. 
Who are these people? Are they for real? Are they really here to glorify Jesus Christ? We're told to love Jesus, uh, sorry, by Jesus, to love God with all our minds. So let's use our minds, our brains, in caution to guard gospel purity. My rule is, if in doubt, look elsewhere. You wouldn't trust your money or spend your savings in, a, in an organisation with people you knew nothing about. Well, don't invest your spiritual life in an unknown teacher. Go back to the faithful evangelical sources you know you can entrust implicitly. You may have learned that trust in the ordinary, plain, vanilla experience of everyday life. But that's the safe place. Don't give up the safety and assurance for a quick thrill. Of course, there are times when we're not able to do due diligence on the messenger. So we have to listen and keep asking if what's said is in line with what the apostles teach in the text of the Bible. So we keep our Bibles open and we compare. And perhaps the best test is to check if the message is really investing in faith in Jesus, love for God's people, and hope for heaven of a future reward in eternity? Or does it actually seem to be investing in something else or somebody else? Be wise, don't get burned. Well, having seen what the authentic Christian looks like next time, I think we probably get more onto the subject of what authentic Christian maturity looks like. It's a fascinating letter, and I was personally so grateful for it back in the 90s, ahead of the Toronto blessing coming in, because it made it easy to spot the problems with that early on. But, uh, so it really does have very practical purpose, this wonderful letter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for coming to, the, to Paul on that road to Damascus, for making that transformation in him from one who persecuted you to one who loved you, for the wisdom that you gave him, for the authority you gave him, and for his diligence and love that caused him to write this and many other letters. And as we read... Uh, this letter of his and Timothy's. So we pray that its effect on us um, and all those who listen may be great and far-reaching. And we pray for your protection. We pray that you would grant us that gift of discernment that we might know when something is not in accord with the apostolic truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sam.